All right, brother. Now, what I want to do is we're going to cover 28 and 29 this morning in Samuel, and I want to read 28 and 29, and then we will we will dive in. It's not that much reading, uh, so I do want us to 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 read here and to kind of familiarize ourselves with the passage and with the text. So let's go ahead and start here in verse one. I will I will read for us here 28 and 29. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, remember David's in uh, the land of the Philistines right now, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and the two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that's what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned to you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. 
And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and I have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the women had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it, and put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing, by, uh, passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he has deserted to me, I have found no guilt in him, or no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go with us to the battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is, this, is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? That what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of, the, of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Amen. I said last week how this is one of my favorite sections of Samuel, but it isn't one of my favorite sections in Samuel because it's just a bed of roses, that it's just about constant triumph, that it's uh, something that would make us just always feel good. These, these chapters, brethren, they have, they have great encouragement for us. They are theologically rich. Uh, the, the, the application is deep. It is very practical, but it is also very instructional for us. And as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things we read here in the Old Testament are written for our instruction. And oftentimes, brethren, they come to us in warnings. In warnings. And at times in the Bible, 
We, we are to look at the accounts of men and women and we are to hold up their life. And we're to examine them. We're to look at them. And at times, we're to imitate their faith. And at other times, we are to look at their destruction. And we're to see them perishing quickly in the way. And in that instruction, we learn of God's holiness. We learn of God's righteousness, amongst other things. And I want to just tell you a quick story. When I was, when I was 18 years old, uh, I got into a little bit of trouble uh, at, a, at a baseball game that I was at, the, the, uh, they were the 51s back then, and uh, part of my punishment in, in court was that I had to go and, and take a class at the coroner's office. Uh, you know, the place where they examine, um, you know, people who have died and, and, and they try to determine uh, their, the cause of death. And what they were doing in that class is that they were trying to teach uh, foolish, immature teenagers about the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their life. And I will never, I will never forget some of those stories, brethren. Uh, they would show up and they would hold up on these PowerPoints the most gruesome pictures of, of people who were, um, you know, drinking and driving. Or, uh, you know, there was a story where this, this guy, he was like a drag racer. And I'll never forget this, brethren. Um, you know, he was like a street racer. And, um, you know, they, were, they, they showed after he had crashed his car, um, his body just disintegrated all over the place. And, you know, the guy said, I'll never forget this, that the guy had time to put on his racing gloves, but, but, but not his seatbelt. And, um, you know, the, it was just, it was, it, it was horrific. Um, there was accounts of, of guys who were, you know, doing big wheelies on the street bikes. You know, we get those guys around here. Um, people driving, you know, just like maniacs on the road. And when they crashed and died, um, you know, there's pictures taken and they were showing us these pictures and it was actually quite gruesome and it was disgusting actually. It was just, it, 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 it just, they were holding up these people and say, look at this guy, look at these people and their consequences of life and do not act like them. And what they also did for us is they brought us into the cooler where they have, um, you know, all these dead bodies there, and there was maybe 50 or 60 dead bodies, and that was the first time I ever smelled death. And it was, uh, I will never forget that, brethren. I, I, I will never, ever forget that. And that was, you know, some 15 years ago. And all that to say was, look at, look at the man who would not call the taxi and drive home drunk. Look at the man who is, who, who's out here speed racing, drag racing, out on the streets. Look at the man driving like a lunatic. Look at these people who make these bad decisions and their bad choices. Look at their life and don't do what they do. And as worldly as that is, brethren, there, there is some truth in that. The, it, it was powerful. And for us, the scriptures hold up the lives of people. And, it, and, and the Bible gives us, instead of worldly wisdom, godly wisdom and instruction. To look at the lives of men and it counsels us. The Bible instructs us as God holds up the life of those who have failed and perished. And say, don't be like them. I want to show you something real quickly in Psalm chapter 52. You could turn there with me. We get this here. And, and Psalm 52 is a psalm of David, uh, and he's speaking about this man Doeg the Edomite. Now remember, Doeg, we learned a couple chapters ago in Samuel, he threw uh, Ahimelech 
and David under the bus to Saul. And, Dave, and, and, and Saul goes and wipes out and kills the prophets of, or, or the priests of Yahweh. And, and I want to just read this psalm to you. Listen to what David says here. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh mockingly at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And David says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait on for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. David says here, and as we ought to say to all wicked men, when the righteous see, look at the man. There he is who would not make God his refuge. And that's what I want you to see this morning, church. I want you to see this with Saul. I want you to see the man. See the man here who would not make God his refuge. And we would look at him, and we would hold him up, and we would examine his life. So that, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that we may not desire evil as he did. That's what I want you to see this morning, brethren. Look at the man. Look at him. As we get to the end of his life. Now, I said earlier, or last week, I guess, that, that this section is, is just soaked with this theme of Exodus. And, and we see the same thing here. That, that we're going to see that the announcement of the death of Saul, and we get that in chapter 28, verse 19. Samuel says, tomorrow you're going to go down in battle and you're going to be with me. That's the place of the dead, you and your sons, and judgment is coming upon uh, Israel by the hand of the Philistines. And in many ways, brethren, Saul is just like Pharaoh. Saul, like Pharaoh, tried to kill the anointed leader when he was young, just like Pharaoh did. Saul, just like Pharaoh, hardens his heart and pursues after David to the destruction of himself and his own family, just like Pharaoh did when he chased after Israel and they were wiped out in the Red Sea. But what makes this so tragic is that this is, this is not the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This is the king of Israel. That's what makes this account so tragic and so devastating. This is Israel's king. But Saul has become like a king of the nations, just like Samuel said. Just like he said. And brethren, Saul has become so corrupt that Yahweh is going to destroy him and his house and his kingdom. Just like he did with, with, with Eli back in the beginning of Samuel. Judgment came upon that wicked priest Eli and his sons and his house and the tabernacle. It was all destroyed so that God would build anew. God would build afresh and raise up Samuel. And we're going to see the same thing here. That the Lord is going to bring judgment upon Saul and upon his house and upon his kingship to pave the way for David. God, God breaks down and God builds anew. He builds again. And both of these stories with Eli and with Saul 
it takes place at Aphek, the same place. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Eli and, and, and his sons were destroyed in the battle at Aphek. And in, you, we read in chapter 29, verse 1, the Philistines had gathered at Aphek. And that is where Saul will be judged finally. When we get to chapter 31, we will see his death there. And I want you to notice something before we jump into this. 28 and 29. I want you to notice the structure of these chapters. Okay? Did you notice as we were reading... You get in, in, in 28, 1 and 2, you get the camera is paneled and focused on David. And you see David there and his men and they're marching out with the Philistines to go and attack Israel. That's not a good situation. All right. You don't want to be going out and marching against God's people. This is, this is, this is the anointed king, David. He's the king that's going to be coming in uh, quite soon. And he's marching out in battle. And then you get, chap and, and then you get in verse 3, now Samuel had died. And all Israel mourned for him. And then the camera, as it were, moves from David and moves over to Saul. And you get the account with Saul and the witch at Endor. And then the camera comes back over to David in chapter 29. You guys see that? So we're kind of reading this story. We're interrupted about David. We see Saul. And then we continue on with David. It's kind of like a sandwich, right? And we see this in the Bible. We saw this just a couple of chapters ago with David and Nabal. Remember that David spares Saul? And then you had David with Nabal and David sparing Saul. So you kind of had that same, that same structure going on there. And the point of that is to help us to see, okay, what is, what is the author trying to teach us here? The, the, the focus of these two chapters and all these sections here is on Saul. Saul is right in the middle. We see Saul's life. We see his downfall. We see the judgment coming upon him. We see the, the, the downward turmoil of his life right in the middle of this account of David. This is actually really important for us because we see two accounts of men in desperate situations. Okay? Two accounts of two men in desperate situations and their endings are quite different. So you have Saul, he has the Philistines breathing down his neck, coming in for war. And you have David, he's marching out for war against Yahweh's people. They're both in predicaments here. You guys see that? You follow me there? Okay. And we're going to see how the Lord uh, and the outcomes of these are very different. Very different, and, and, and I'll point these out as, as, we, as we get there. Now, remember, looming in the background of this section is Hannah's prayer. Okay? I have said this before. I will say it again, and I will keep saying it until I'm done preaching Samuel. Hannah's prayer is the theological backbone of all of Samuel. I want you to listen. You can turn there if you want, but I want you to listen to these words in 1 Samuel chapter 2. These are, this is, this is Hannah's prayer. And we read here in verse 9 of, of 1 Samuel 2. He says, or Hannah says this, He, this is the Lord, Yahweh, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His king and exalt the horn of His anointed. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in 
darkness. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we are working through these chapters. So let's look at verse 4. Saul, we see here the Philistines have come upon him. Verse 4, they assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Okay, so what I want you to see here is, is, is notice this, that when, when, when Saul sees the army of the Philistines, we read that he is afraid, and he trembles greatly. Brethren, listen to me. Fear marked all of Saul's life. Fear marked Saul's life. We see it here. He's afraid. He trembles greatly. You see it there in chapter 28, uh, verse 20. Saul was filled with fear, and he was terrified. Fear was characteristic of Saul's life. You see it back there in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember when Goliath was, was spewing out his threats against God's people? We read there in verse 11 that when Saul heard of Goliath, he was dismayed and greatly afraid. And in that chapter again, we read that Saul was afraid of David because he had killed Goliath. Saul stood in fearful awe of David. Chapter 17, verse 29, Saul was even more afraid of David. Fear and, 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 and trembling and anguish was Saul's characteristic of his whole life, especially in battle. Especially in battle. All of these instances, I want you to, to, to notice this, uh, Saul lacks courage. He lacks courage. He is fearful when there's something coming upon him in battle, and he is afraid. He trembles greatly. And all of these instances come after the Spirit of God departs from Saul. So in chapter 16, what happens is the Spirit departs from Saul, and it is from 16 onward that you see Saul as a man who lived a cowardice life. Constantly afraid, constantly living in fear. Brethren, listen, it is the Spirit of God that gives you courage in the day of battle. It is the Spirit of God that emboldens you. Saul was devoid of the Spirit, and we see him as a coward constantly here in his life. And we see this in, in, in the book of Judges. When, when the Spirit of God comes upon a man, what happens? He's emboldened for battle. He's emboldened to go out and to fight for Yahweh. And the Spirit takes little, little weaklings like Gideon and like us and like Peter and like a lot of other men in the Bible who have no power, no strength, no boldness in and of themselves. And when the Spirit of God comes upon a man and it's, I mean, that, that man or woman is filled with the Spirit, they have courage. They have courage to, to, to speak for Christ. They have courage in the day of battle. They have courage and boldness to honor the Lord in their life. And we don't see that here with Saul. Remember what Jesus said in, in, in Luke 24, right before he, he ascended into heaven to glory? Remember when He told His disciples? He said, you stay in Jerusalem and do what? And wait. For what? Or for who? The, yes, to wait in Jerusalem. Essentially, you do not move a muscle until the promise of my Father comes that you may, uh, may go out and, have, and, and, and be clothed, he said, with power from on high. 
Brethren, we need the Spirit. These disciples needed the Spirit of God to be able to go out and to do what God has told them to do. Conquer the land. Spread the gospel. Take dominion. Plant churches. Speak of Christ. Confront evil. Brethren, without the Spirit of God, we will go out in battle and we will return like a little scared puppy with our tail between our legs. We need the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit gives you courage. And we need courage, brethren. We need it. And we need Him. We need the Spirit of God. We need to plead with Him. Help me. Embolden me at work. Embolden me in my family. Help me to, to, to face whatever wickedness is in front of me. Help me stand strong for Christ. We need the Spirit, brethren. We need the Spirit. And we have the Spirit. Amen? We have the Spirit. But oftentimes the reality is, brother, we lack courage. We lack a boldness for Christ. And oftentimes that's because we've grieved the Spirit. We've grieved Him. Through, through, through sin, through a lack of uh, communing with Christ, through a coldness of our own heart. And brother, the reality is this. We need to repent. If you lack courage, and we all do that, brethren, we need to repent and seek after the Lord to commune with Him, draw strength from Him, to have courage to fight in the day of battle. I want you to see the man here, church. See the man whose life was marked with cowardice and fear in the day of battle. Now I want you to notice where this fear drove Saul. Notice where it drove him. Verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, listen, he sought after the Lord. The Lord did not answer him by dreams. Now, it was common for uh, kings to have dreams to, to, to tell them what they were to do. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Solomon, right? It's not uncommon for kings in this day. Uh, or by the Urim, this is a priestly means of, of, of getting instruction and inquiring of the Lord. And God does not answer him by this. Saul killed the 70 priests of Yahweh back a, a couple of chapters ago. He cut off the priests of the Lord. Now he doesn't get instruction by the Lord this way. And also, or by prophets. Samuel's dead. You see that there in verse 3. That's an important detail here. Samuel is dead. And so Saul is so desperate... He goes and inquires of a medium. So what we said here in verse 7. And Saul said to his servants, after he did not hear from Yahweh, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at an door. Listen, all Saul cares about is guidance. That's all he wants. He just wants to know, what do I need to do? And it's not because he loves God. It's not because he wants to obey God. It's not because he wants to honor Christ. It's not because he wants to, 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 to find worship of God. None of that. He wants guidance so that he does not fail. He does not. He wants the blessing of, of, of guidance, but not the one who, who's the guide. He wants the blessing, not the blesser. He wants the guidance, not the guide. He doesn't love God. He doesn't honor Yahweh. He wants no part in the Lord. And his life has demonstrated this over and over and over and over again. Brother, I want you to think about this for a minute because we are often a people seeking direction. 
We're often a people seeking guidance. We, many, all of you at one point or another has, have asked for guidance, wisdom, counsel, direction at the prayer meeting. We're constantly thinking through decision making constantly in the Christian life. Lord, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I go here? Should I buy this? Should I you know, join this? Should I do this or that or the other? We are constantly a people seeking guidance. Constantly. Now let me ask you a question. Do you seek guidance because you love God? Because you want to honor Him. Because you want to obey Him. Because you want to glorify Him. Or do you seek guidance because you just don't want to screw up? You just don't want to fail. And I'm going to tell you right now, I was studying this this week, brethren, and most of my life, up until this week, I realized, and I'm very grateful for it, that I have sought guidance constantly because I just didn't want to mess up. Lord, will you just help me? Because I don't want to mess up. I don't want to make a wrong decision. And my thoughts ought to be, and your thoughts ought to be, Lord, I need guidance and direction because I want to honor you. Whatever that would be, Lord, whatever that would be, I want to honor you. And whatever you say and whatever you want, that I will do. You know, there's also another danger here, brethren, is that we would just ask for guidance just because we're supposed to. Because that's the Christian thing to do. So we just seek counsel because, well, that's just what Christians do. With no intention, no intention of listening to it. No intention of obeying it. No intention of actually wanting to hear from the Lord. But we just, we just need to seek for counsel because that's just the right thing to do. Well, we see this all over the Bible. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he becomes king. He needs some counsel on how to govern this people. And he gets the instruction and the counsel from his dad, Solomon's uh, counselors. He hears their instruction and goes, yeah, I don't like that. And he says, where's all the guys my age, all my friends that I grew up with? Have them come and give me the counsel. What's the counsel? Lay the hammer on these people. He says, all right, let's do it. He had no interest of hearing counsel from Yahweh. None. You see it also with Ahab. Ahab and King Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings. The Syrians come upon these people and Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of, king of Judah, come join me and let's go battle against the Syrians. And Jehoshaphat says, well, we should seek after, we should seek the Lord and, 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 and get some counsel here. And so King Ahab brings all his false prophets in. And they prophesied to King Ahab, yep, go down in battle, you will conquer. And Jehoshaphat says, is there not a priest of Yahweh around here? A prophet of Yahweh to give us instruction? And you know Ahab says, yeah, there's one, Micaiah. If you remember reading this account at all. Micaiah, there's one. But I don't want to ask Micaiah, because all Micaiah tells me is, is, is what I don't want to hear. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here. All, Mi all Micaiah does is just prophesy evil against me. I don't want to go ask him. I don't want to seek his counsel. I don't want to hear from a prophet of Yahweh. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to do it. And Jehoshaphat, sa Jehoshaphat says, let it not be. Go get Micaiah. So they go get Micaiah, and, and, and they get him out of this dungeon or wherever he's at, and they say, you know, Micaiah, every prophet has prophesied good to the king. Now, you better not go against any, you, you better not go against the grain, Micaiah. Everyone has said, go up, you're going to conquer. So Micaiah gets up to the front here and they say, what should we do? Go up and conquer, Mr. Ahab. God will give you victory. And he says, see, I told you, always prophesying wrong against me. And you know what? Micaiah spoke the truth. 
He said, you go up in battle, you're going to die, King Ahab. Don't do that. So, so you know what King Ahab does? He disguises himself, goes into battle, tries to be sneaky, and a, some guy just shoots an arrow, nails him, dead. Guy dies. But again, in that situation, brethren, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they don't want the truth, or, 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 or Ahab. They don't want to actually know what it is that do you want me to do, Lord. They're not interested in it. And brethren, we have got to, we have got to guard our hearts against that. When you are seeking counsel and direction and wisdom from, from God's people and your pastors and the word of the Lord, you need to submit yourself to say, I will do whatever the Lord wants me to do. That's how we have good guidance, brethren. Look at Saul. Look at him. He doesn't, he, he doesn't care. He just wants direction. He doesn't care where it comes from. And you know what he does? He is so desperate, he goes to Endor. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, I'll tell you. The Philistines are at Shunem. I'll use this hand. The Philistines are at Shunem, right here. And Saul and his men are at Gilboa, down here. Now it's a couple miles on the other side of the valley. Endor is up here. Okay? So what Saul has to do is he's got to skirt the army of the Philistines. He's got to go behind enemy lines just to inquire of this medium, this necromancer, this demonic woman... Just to get some guidance. He, he, he is so desperate that, that, that he passes right by the Philistines. And he disguises himself. We see that there in verse 7. Brother, listen. People will go to any length to remedy their situation. They will go to any length to get guidance from anywhere. But they will not humble themselves and repent. Here's Saul. And the Lord didn't answer him. And he did not repent. He did not humble himself. He did not, brethren. He goes to any length just to get some direction. But he would not just repent. Repent. Now, in verses 8 to 14, we get this account with the, the, the witch at Endor and Saul, and also Samuel comes into the picture here. Now, listen, I'm not going to uh, get bogged down in all these details here, but I will just tell you this, okay? I think that this is an uh, actual account. I think this really happened. I think Samuel was disturbed and came up and talked with Saul. I think the Bible just, it, on the plain reading of the text, offers that to us as something that actually happened. doesn't explain to us how that could happen or, or, or give us the philosophical, theological idea of how this is possible and all these different things. But I think this actually happened and Saul actually had an encounter with Samuel through this medium. And I think that partly because I think the woman here uh, gets a little bit more than she, than, than she bargained for uh, she gets a little bit more than she's used to. When she sees Samuel coming up, she cries out with a loud voice. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at on that. I don't really want to go too much into that because I don't want to take away from what's going on here. But what I do want you to see is this. In verses 15 and 16, when, 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 when Samuel is here, Samuel talks to Saul. And look at what he says in verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what shall I do. Brethren, that is one of the most depressing verses in all the Bible. This is an absolutely miserable, hopeless situation, and I want you to feel it. I want you to see it. Here is a man who has said, God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Cut off. He's cut off. And furthermore, he says there, Samuel says in 16, and Samuel said to him, Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. He's cut off. God has, God has departed from him, turned away from him. Saul is his enemy. I mean, we've got to ask the question, why? What causes a person to reach such lows, such misery, such hopelessness? Brethren, it's simply this. Saul would not listen to Yahweh's word. You say, that's it? Yes. Saul lived a life of constant rejection, constant ignoring of Yahweh. He despised his instruction. He despised his prophet. He despised all of it constantly. His life was filled with it. Brethren, this gets right to the heart of what it means to be a king. Remember in Deuteronomy 17? Oh, we were just talking about this the other day. What, what, was, what was the first thing the king was to do when he was installed as king? The first thing. That's right. He was, he, 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 he was to write uh, uh, the law, the Torah, God's instruction down for himself to read and to meditate upon, upon it. He was to write it out and it was to be approved by the, by the Levitical priests so that he would meditate on the Word and do the Word so that it would go well with him. This gets right at the heart of the matter for, for, for Israel's king and for you and I. We are to be people of the Word of God. We're to be people who are meditating on the Word, doing the Word, studying the Word, growing more and more and more in our, in our love for the Word. And Saul was a man who did not do it. He did not. He thought of himself more highly than he ought to think. He does not listen to the Word of God constantly in his life. This is not a one-time event. This is, this, is, this is the fruit of a life of constant rejecting, constant ignoring, constant ca casting the Word of God behind His back, constantly despising the instruction of the Lord. And what's even more tragic, brethren, is that God, is, is that Saul does not listen to Yahweh, but he does listen to somebody. He listens to that demonic woman, that medium, that spiritists. Saul listens to her, and you see it there in verse 21, 22, and 23. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore, you also obey your servant. 
Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. Samuel tells Saul, you've been rejected, Saul, because you would not obey the Lord. You would not listen to Yahweh. And here you have a man who wouldn't listen to Yahweh, but he listens to this demonic woman. Brethren, listen to me. You begin to ignore Yahweh's instruction. You begin to cast wisdom behind your back. You begin to harden your heart to the teachings of Scripture. And you find yourself not meditating on Yahweh's instruction. You will find yourself walking in the counsel of the wicked. That's where you will find yourself. Just like we read in Psalm 1. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. You will listen to the voice of someone. That's just reality, brethren. That's just reality. And we have got to guard our hearts and minds against that as God's people. See the man, brethren. See him. Look at him. The man who would not make Yahweh his refuge. Look at him. Look at how his, his life ends here. He is eating at a table of demons. That's how he ends his life. Table fellowship with a medium and necromancer. That's the last we see of Saul before he falls on his sword in chapter 31 and kills himself. This is what we see of the man. Look at him. You know, Brother Nick the other day preached one of the most encouraging sermons I have ever heard on why you should read your Bibles. One of the most encouraging sermons. And your pastor got up here and he charged you to read the Word. Give yourself to the reading of Scripture. To give yourself to it. And brethren, listen, the reality is this. Some of you in here who don't read your Bibles and you don't commune with Christ, you heard that word. You heard that word of encouragement and you made no changes in your life. You did not apply the word of God to your heart. You thought little of the instruction of your pastor, the man of God from the pulpit. And you still do not read your Bible. It is still on the bottom of your to-do list. And if you get to it, you get to it. And you don't get to it still constantly because it's not that important to you. You hear the Word of God week after week after week. And yet you say in your heart, you bless yourself. And you say, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Church, that's a warning to you. Do not despise the Word of God. See the man here. Look at his life. Give yourself, church. Give yourself to the reading of the Scriptures. Look at the man and repent. Repent. If you would but repent, you would but have forgiveness. And the Lord would say, come, come draw nearer to me. Come closer to me. The Lord will never push you away. He will never push you away. The problem is always with us. Always with us. It's like you get there in the Song of Solomon. The husband there, the, the bridegroom's knocking on the door. And the mistress is in there in bed and she doesn't want to get up. 
He's knocking, he's knocking. She doesn't want to get up out of bed. She just got in bed. Then she gets up and it's too late. There's Christ left. That's how it is, brethren. He's there. If you would but come commune with Him. Daily. Daily come and, and, and feed yourself upon the Word of the Lord. Brethren, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is not a blessed man. This is not the blessed man. This is a man who is walking in the counsel of the wicked. He stands in the way of sinners, and he sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight was not in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He did not meditate day and night, brethren. He is not a tree planted by streams of water. He is not yielding His fruit in His season. His leaf is withering. And all that He does is not prospering. This man is like chaff that the spirit wind of God will drive away and is driving away. This man will not stand in the judgment. This man will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Brethren, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This man will perish. And we see it happen just in two chapters. He's gone. Brethren, see the man. See him. Look at him. This is, this is what, 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 what Proverbs 1 speaks of. Go, go there with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. And you think of Saul's life right here. Starting in verse 20. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the marketplaces, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, looking for wisdom, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all of my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way. Brethren, do we not see Saul here eating the fruit of his way? Constantly rejecting, constantly casting out wisdom behind his back, constantly ignoring and there he is, eating the fruit of his way. Verse 31. And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But here's the promise, brethren. It's held out for us. But whoever 
listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. There's Saul right there, church. There he is. He would not. He despised Samuel and David's reproof. David reproved him. Maybe he was seeking his own life. Samuel reproved him. No repentance. Constantly hardening the heart. Brethren, see him. Look at this man. I want you to see how this chapter ends before we get into David. Look at how it ends here. After this man Saul has this meal with this demonic woman, a fattened calf and unleavened bread. Verse 25, And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. And don't you for a moment think that is just some detail that is insignificant. Brethren, this is a theological statement about Saul's situation. He goes off into the darkness. That's his spiritual condition. He walks away and goes into the darkness at night. This is the same exact thing we read of Judas. In John chapter 13, verse 30, Judas is there and he eats unleavened bread with the Lord of glory himself and a Passover meal. And Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. And they start asking themselves, well, who's it going to be? The one I give this piece of bread to to dip the morsel in. Gives it to Judas. He dips it in. Jesus tells him, what you do, go out and do quickly. And you read there that after Satan had entered Judas, he gets up after he eats and he goes away. And then John tells us, and it was night. Same exact thing here. Same exact parallel. Judas, we know, later on goes and hangs himself. Saul, later on, goes and falls on his own sword. Brother, we see the spiritual condition here. Darkness. Darkness. See the men, brethren. See the men here who would not make God their refuge. Look at them. Now, our story doesn't end there. And praise the Lord for that, brethren. And that's what's so glorious about the gospel. That's what's so glorious about redemptive history. The story never ends with darkness, ever. It doesn't end with darkness. Jesus Christ Himself, brethren, suffered the judgment of darkness in the place of His people. When He suffered on the cross and there was darkness covering the land, He entered the darkness for His people. And you know what? He came out of the darkness on the third day at the dawning of the morning. Christ comes out of the grave, brethren, and it begins a new day. And remember, I talked about this back at Christmas, about darkness and light. And listen, the dawning of a new day, brethren, always brings for us a new creation. It brings for us a new beginning. It brings for us a new age. And this is the movement of Scripture. In the movement of Scripture, it always goes from darkness to light. Never, never 
from light to darkness. It always goes from darkness to light. From Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. There it is right there. That's the movement of Scripture, brethren. Evening and then morning. Darkness and then light. And we see our story here. It ends with one of these men walking out into the darkness. But David's ends with him walking out in the morning. Remember David? We left him back there in chapter 28. There he was with his men walking out with the Philistines, gathered for war against God's people Israel. He was in a predicament as well. And in verse 3 of chapter 29, we see David. He's walking with the army, him and his men. And the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? Well, praise the Lord. God providentially intervenes for David. What are these men doing here? These men can't go out with us in the battle. That's what they say. Uh, verse 4. The commanders of the armies of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send him back, that he may return to the place which, which you have assigned him. He shall not go into battle with us. Why? Lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men here? Oh, you most certainly should believe it. Oh, yes, it would be. The heads of all those Philistines. Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his, ten, his thousands and David his ten thousands. They heard the song on the radio. They knew. They knew about David slashing Philistines. And they said, this guy's not going out with us in the battle. Send him home. Get him and his men out of here. God providentially intervenes for David. Intervenes for David. And he is sent out. We see right here, brethren, in, in chapter 10. He shall not go, or, or verse 10. He shall not go up with us to the battle. Verse 10. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Brethren, three times there. Three times. The emphasis. One man goes into darkness, and his story ends. The next man Ends his story, ends his account, walking out in the light at the dawning of a new day. And brethren, when we have a dawning of a new day in God's redemptive history, that is good news for God's people. That is good news for us. There was hope. There was hope for us in the dawning of a new day. That always brings hope for us. Early in the morning, brethren, your Lord goes down into the grave. He enters the darkness for you. And three days later, He comes out of the grave at the dawn of the morning to bring new life, to bring a new age, to bring a new kingdom. Here it is. He's ruling and reigning. And we see it here with Saul. Saul goes down as that old king. Judgment has been announced upon him. And we see David going out in the early morning 
on his way to the throne to ascend as king of Israel. Brethren, remember, the Lord will guide the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. And see here, at the end of this chapter, see the man here, brethren, David. See the man who made Yahweh his refuge. And Yahweh cares for him and protects him and provides for him. Let's pray.